Today's reading is called The Same Stream of Life by Rabindranath Tagore. The same stream of life that runs through my veins night and day runs through the world and dances in rhythmic measures. It is the same life that shoots in joy through the dust of the earth in numberless blades of grass and breaks into tumultuous waves of leaves and flowers. It is the same life that is rocked in the ocean cradle of birth and death in ebb and flow. I feel my limbs are made glorious by the touch of this world of life, and my pride is from the life throbs of ages dancing in my blood this moment. Thank you, Jack, for that reading. Might sound like a silly question to ask this morning, but what is divine to you? That's one of those questions we in the pray trade like to ask. (laughs) It's uh, a question that a community like ours should ask continually. It really might seem silly to ask about divinity when it feels like the whole world is on fire, or at least significant parts of it. And it might seem silly to ask about divinity at a budget meeting in a church. But instead of asking, what if we simply approached that question or anything we do as an expression of the divine? Now, first, you might be wondering, because we're UUs and we like to wonder, what is divine? What do you mean here, Brian? Do you mean Yahweh or Aphrodite? Well, yes. Do you mean divine as in sublime? Yes. Do you mean divine as in portent, signifying sacredness or utmost importance? Yeah, that too. How about divine as in the natural world? Yep. Unitarian Universalism empowers us to approach traditional religious words to reclaim them and see and live them in a new light. Divinity is not just up on high. For the transcendentalists of whom we owe much of our heritage, divinity was all around us. Everything was illuminated with inherent divinity. It's like the old story of Thomas Merton's awakening on the corner of Fourth and Walnut. People were shining like the sun, and I loved them, Thomas Merton proclaimed. And yes, divinity is that too. Last week, we explored one manifestation of divinity within the African-American religious tradition, the letter of Paul to Philemon, one of Paul's shortest letters where he's writing to a man on behalf of a slave named Onesimus. The way religious scholars in the African-American community approach that story is both one of liberation and hope. It's about reorienting ourselves to the stories we tell. It's about making liberation part and parcel of everything we do. It's about asking, are we a community that continually participates in the work of liberation? I began with an African-American Christianity for a couple reasons. One, UUs often have a fierce and sometimes, oftentimes justified rejection of anything Christian. I contend we need not reject it all. 
that there is great beauty within the massive tradition of Christianity. It's not just one single monolith. That there is good news in most religions. And here's the million dollar question for you though. What's our good news? That's another sermon at another time. I feel if Unitarian Universalism is going to live into its promise, yes, it will reject all forms of fundamentalism wholeheartedly without apology, make no mistake. Any religion that diminishes worth and dignity, that too. But we will lift up what is worthy, what is powerful, what is beautiful, what is liberatory. Paul's letter to Philemon is one example. And two, reason two. As a religious community, we have joined forces with dozens of congregations around Fayette County in the work of justice by joining BUILD, building a united interfaith Lexington through direct action. And 99% of them are Christian. Many are out of the breadth of the black church tradition. And being good neighbors isn't just about saying who we are. It's about learning who our neighbors are too. And maybe it's a personal mission of mine, but I envision a Unitarian Universalism that doesn't waste its energy telling people who we aren't. As in, we're not Christian. We're not this. We're not that. But instead, we spend all of our energy and excitement telling people who we are. Healing our wounds and washing away our judgments. At least the judgments that don't serve us well is one step. And so that's all well and good, right? Here's the thing, and believe me, I'm not an authority on what it means to be a Black American. I have to be honest in that, let's be clear. But I've noticed that while, yes, Black Christianity is incredibly important to our history as a nation and to many African Americans, like all people, there is a breadth of religious expression. And there is a movement within the African American community that is slowly gaining recognition. It's always been there but now it's raising its voice, joining the chorus, African-American religious naturalism. Now I've preached a lot on religious naturalism. I won't get into all the specifics, but it is a religious perspective that boils down to three simple words. Nature is enough. It is enough for transcendental experiences, for discovering meaning, wonder, mystery, for that feeling that wells up within a human being that can only be described as spiritual religious, Ultimate. Why is it religious? Why do they use that word religious with naturalism? Because they join in community around that principle. Nature is enough. The times that I've shared what I call the good news of religious naturalism, many of you have found a helpful symbol to describe where you are in your spiritual journey. And I believe religious naturalism is accessible to anyone. If you believe in a deity or deities, the natural order was created and it was deemed good. Nature is enough. If you don't believe in a deity or are unsure, we are interwoven into the natural world around us. We are inescapably a part of nature. Nature is enough. Throw in some light reading and biology, quantum physics, Jungian psychology, even chemistry, and the declaration that nature is enough becomes a bright, shining beacon of hope. Nature is overflowing with intention, some might say. And that might be a very poetic way to say it. 
but it can get really hardcore if you want it to. Nitty gritty in the dirt, in the bones. The interdependent web of existence we Unitarian Universalists talk about so often is not something we say after singing, Michael rode the boat ashore, kumbaya, though it can be. But without spoiling the joy of your own discoveries yet to be made, studying nature with a capital N, this, this life, this existence reveals breathtaking insights. Now, I said I wasn't going to go on and on about this, alas. I cannot help it. Religious naturalism doesn't really care what you believe about God. It just cares that you are taking notice of the world around you. And knowing that, at the end of the day, it is enough. It doesn't mean it's always the enough we want it to be. And that's where we turn our attention to. There are few, if any, books on African-American non-theistic religion. Whether it's humanism or naturalism, Dr. Anthony Pinn, who has been very close to Unitarian Universalist circles, has written the most on African-American humanism, both religious and secular. But for religious naturalism, as far as I can tell, unless there's something new or something out of print that is out there, Dr. Carol Wayne White is the voice. It doesn't mean there haven't always been Black humanists and naturalists, but Dr. White is one of the few voices lifting it up into view for the world to see. And her book on it is brilliant. I know I say that, a lot, say that a lot, but if you like religion and philosophy, it's great. When knowledge brings joy, there is so much brilliance to take in in the world. Dr. Caroline White in her book called Black Lives, and, Black Lives and Sacred Humanity weaves together a tapestry of Black religious naturalism that is a gift to any who would listen. She begins by looking at the words of Rabindranath Tagore the words that you heard in the poem this morning. But she moves to the lives and writings of black authors and activists, Anna Julia Cooper, W.E.B. Du Bois, and James Baldwin. And through moving through their lives and writings, she presents a religious naturalist viewpoint that shifts the focus on that three word imperative, nature is enough. And it becomes, Nature is sacred. She begins by defining the religious imperative, right? So as in, what inspires us to be religious? What keeps us together? Why even bother? And Dr. White looks to the words of Anna Julia Cooper, who is an African-American or was an African-American author and activist that we don't hear much about, which is a shame. Cooper was one of the most impactful Black scholars our country has seen, and especially for her time the fourth African-American woman to earn a doctorate in our, our nation's history. And in many ways, she was also a naturalist. Now, I read her words and I cannot even, I am so humbled by Anna Julia Cooper. I don't even wanna paraphrase her words, but keep in mind as you hear some of them, the maxims, nature is enough and nature is sacred. And she writes to us, the beautiful curves described by planets and suns in their courses are the resultant of conflicting forces. Could the centrifugal force for one instant triumph or should the centripetal grow weary and give up the struggle? Immeasurable disaster would ensue. Earth, moon, sun would go spinning off at a tangent or must fall helplessly into its master sphere. She continues, the very air we breathe, which seems so calm, so peaceful, 
rendered innocuous only by the constant conflict of opposing gases. Were the fiery never resting all corroding oxygen to gain the mastery, we should be burnt to cinders in a trice. Cooper wrote those words not to give a science lesson, but to prove a point. Conflict is inevitable, but when conflict is in balance, there's a harmony amongst the planets, the air we breathe, the natural world, and the dignity of human beings. Have you ever looked at the planets through a telescope and felt compelled to the work of racial justice? Cooper did. And that sets the stage for Dr. White. Begin with what is ultimate, expansiveness. The air we breathe is a symbol of how balance can bring life and imbalance can end it all. Not just for the marginalized, but for everyone. And injustice is an expression of imbalance. But the more important point here is injustice is destructive to all involved. Dr. White moves from Anna Cooper uh, to the ultimacy and brings it a little closer to home and how we find our place in the words of our place in the world, our place in this ultimacy, right? With the words and life of W.E.B. Du Bois. Now, Du Bois is one of those great thinkers that is used by pretty much anyone. He was brilliant. He was also vulnerable and honest. And we often don't hear those words from him. Vulnerable and honest at a time when that honesty was not appreciated, especially from an African-American. Du Bois had doubts. He wrote honestly in letters to friends about his doubts over the traditional idea of a God. But he held on to hope that there was a force, a power, nameless, or perhaps just our own desires and hopes, or maybe something larger that could shape the world and the universe around us. Du Bois often speaks of the decisive action of human beings that's crucial to his thinking and writing, that that is what transforms our world, that prayers turn to actions are the fuel for justice, a fuel to take that religious sense of wonder and to bring it alive. It's one thing to stand in awe before nature, right? To have those kumbaya moments, which are beautiful. It's another to work for the good and the right because of those moments. Back to Dr. White. She set up two important things in her view for a religious worldview, ultimacy and motivation. But there's something else she says that's missing here. It's that sense of history and place for the individual. How does it all come together? And this is where Dr. White brings in James Baldwin. James Baldwin struggled with his place in the world. And he's also very honest about this. He once wrote that he felt inauthentic to tracing his roots to Africa, that there was no connection to him, even though he could see the lineages on a piece of paper, that he wanted it so badly, but it fell flat, that he was an adopted child, whether he liked it or not, of a culture that lifted up Shakespeare, the Empire State Building, Paris, Rembrandt, and so on, that they were not his creations or his ancestors' creations. And even there, in those things that he was familiar with, 
he could not trace his history, his identity, who he was. He could not piece it together. And so Baldwin sought to give importance not to European history and culture, not to African history or culture, but to African American history and culture. Now, the thing where this relates to religious naturalism for Dr. White is that religious naturalism is all about what is local. The blooming season here in Kentucky is different than Minnesota or Thailand or the Congo. The weather patterns here are different than Chicago. When the sunflowers will bloom and eventually drop their seeds so new life can grow is different here than in Ukraine, in Ukraine. It's all about us looking to our surrounding place, our people, our gathered people, our culture, cultures, the plants and the trees and the animals and the humans. That is where we root our identity. From that sense of ultimacy to the impulse to do good in the world, Dr. White uses the story of James Baldwin to make that third important point. Anchoring ourselves in our story, who we are. She says it is so absolutely crucial. For Baldwin, it was African-American history and culture. For many of us, it is Unitarian Universalism in this congregation, but also Appalachia or New England or the Midwest or simply Kentucky, Lexington or your family, your chosen family, those who are showing up for you. It's not about getting lost in those stories, right? You can easily get lost in them and sometimes it's good. But Dr. White quotes Baldwin further to confront the temptation to really get lost, right? And so she offers his words, Baldwin writes to us, perhaps the whole root of our trouble, Baldwin says, the human trouble is that we will sacrifice all the beauty of our lives and imprison ourselves in totems, taboos, crosses, blood sacrifices, steeples, mosques, races, armies, flags, nation, in order to deny the fact of death, which is the only fact we have. One is responsible, he continues, to life. It is the small beacon in that terrifying darkness from which we come to which we shall return. One must negotiate this passage as nobly as possible for the sake of those who come after us. What Dr. White is weaving together here is another story of liberation, not just for African-Americans, though she is speaking directly to African-Americans here, but a story of liberation for all who need it. We began with the ultimate, nature is enough, nature is sacred. We move to the hands-on, the wonder and mystery of existence, moves us to do good in this world. And then we get to the story, the personal. Who am I? What is my place in all of this? How do I both claim my story and not be trapped by it? For Dr. White, she uses these three great thinkers against the backdrop of things like the poem from Rabindranath Tagore and other thinkers, writers, poets, to focus on one idea. Religious naturalism says, Yes, that nature is sacred. But from that, we learn that there is a sacredness to humanity. That when we work, say we work for justice, we are talking about what is sacred. That the phrase Black Lives Matter might as well be Black Lives are sacred. That women's reproductive health is sacred. That our transgender siblings are sacred. That the people of the Ukraine are sacred. And yes, even people losing their lives 
on the Russian side are sacred. And yes, even the man who perpetuated these things, that is hard to say. And yet from that sacredness, a motivation comes and we start to identify our place in that story. That we are not separate from the sacredness of other human beings in nature, even if we might want to be, right? (laughs) I want to hide on the covers. But also that we are sacred too. Things become luminous this way and open up a means to engage the world as one massive, glorious temple. That is the promise of religious naturalism. And for Dr. Carol Wayne White, it takes what can often be a, a lofty religious sensibility and brings it down into human stories, lives, the struggles the marginalized face, and by extension, the struggles of being human. That is story that we are all part of this great wondrous world be struck with wonder and awe at the grandeur of it all this right here you can have a god in it you cannot have a god it doesn't really matter be struck by now bring it down because you love that being wondrous wonder struck and do good and right in this world and find your place in the story And that is the gift to us this morning from Dr. Carol Wayne White, the emerging religious naturalist community and African-American culture and community and identity. That's the gift that we all can partake of in our good work in this world, living out all eight of our principles. May it be so. Blessed be. Amen.